Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia O'Donnell. Welcome back to the Femi Pod. This is episode number 15. Thank you all for joining us today and for the last few episodes. Hopefully you all enjoyed our conversation with the incredible Ali Kiefer last week. I've got Esther here with me, of course, and today we're going to have a bit of a conversation about what we've been up to, and then we're going to jump into some listener questions that you all sent us on Instagram. So thank you to everybody that sent us the questions. We are going to get jump into them very soon, but before we get started, Esther, how are you doing, and how's your training week been? You've got a race coming up. Yeah, been good. Thank you, Lids. Uh, trying to survive in the New Zealand summer. It's been hotter than I've ever experienced, and as you said before, Lids, when we were talking about how hot it was, because it's just topic of conversation always, it was um, discussed how New Zealand or Auckland weather when it's 27 or 28 feels like 35 because it's always so humid. So yeah, just trying to stay cool. I'm staying at my mum and dad dad's house at the moment because they're away and I have to look after their cats slash my cat. Uh, so yeah, luckily enough, I have a pool to jump into, which is really good to cool off, uh, especially after runs as well at the moment. But yeah, running's going really well. I had a little while there where I didn't feel that good, probably uh, after that half marathon onwards, I had about two or three months where I felt pretty rubbish training and I'm not quite sure why, but I'm feeling like I'm coming right now and I've had some really good sessions, which has helped boost my confidence. So yeah, I've got lots of races coming up. I've got three weekends in a row. So I've got uh, New Zealand 3K champs this Saturday and then I've got New Zealand mile champs the following Saturday and then I have a 1500 down in Wellington. So lots of travel and lots of races coming up and then that sort of leads into a few more big races and then New Zealand champs. So yeah, lots of racing coming coming up, which is really exciting. And I'm really looking forward to it, which will be, yeah, it'll be really cool. And there's such amazing depth in New Zealand at the moment in the women's, women's running scene. So it's really, really exciting. And hopefully you get to come over as well, lads, for nationals and make it even, even deeper and, and stronger because I know the 5K is going to be pretty good and hotly contested this year at nationals. So yeah, training's going really well, lots of speed work at the moment. And I tried on my new spikes for the first time, probably about two weeks ago, and they actually really do help. So I'm pretty excited to race in them this weekend. Uh, but yeah, training's been really good and looking forward to the races coming up. How have you been, Lids? How's, that, how's the body holding up after the marathon and recovery time? Yeah, um, I've been really good. But before we move on, I just want to understand a little bit more about what's been going on in New Zealand, um, especially as races start to kick off and track races are on. And it just seems like there has been a few times over the last couple of weeks where there have been a few issues, well, challenges um, when we look at the men's and women's races and I guess the uh, gender equity side of sport and the fairness of what the men are being offered and how much media attention they're getting versus the women. We want to do a full podcast on this topic but I thought just because it is so relevant with what is happening over there at the moment do you want to just give us a bit of a rundown yeah for sure I think uh, I put a little bit up on my Instagram story and there was a little bit of uh, backlash about a race down in Timaru so the Lovelock Classic Uh, they have done this for forever now 
So uh, a really amazing runner, Kat Camp in New Zealand has won that race four years in a row and she gets half the pay of the men every year. And so we sort of bought it up and nothing nothing happened. Someone offered to pay the difference and cover the cover the loss for the for the female athlete, but that never happened. So again, Kat came up with less money in her hand after training just as hard as the men, paying the exact same amount to be there. And again, she gets paid less. So I think, you know, having talked to a lot of the girls who I run with and train with and uh, some of the best runners in New Zealand, we've had enough, you know, it's getting to a point where this happens every year without fail and nothing gets done about it. So I think you won't see us turning up or you'll see something different happen next time there's a race like this again. We're not going to stand for it anymore. Uh, you know, you can say it's privately funded by someone else, but it's in the control of the event organizer. You don't potentially have to take that funding if that person doesn't agree to split it equally, or you can go venture out and try to find equal funding for the woman. But in this day and age, it's not fair. It should never have been fair. But even, like right now, as a sporting body, it's just embarrassing for Athletics New Zealand and that this is still happening in 2022. So I think if we band together as women and we actually decide to do something about it, it will change. And I think we're at that point now. So I'm really, really excited. I don't want it to happen again, but I'm excited that we've had this conversation and that we're ready to do something about it if it does happen again. It is like disgusting that that stuff still happens. It's disgusting it ever happened, but I just can't believe it's similar to the fact that we don't understand our bodies as well as men understand their bodies because of the research. Like it's crazy that that even happens so yeah I'm with you and that I'm excited to see some changes and it's awesome that you girls are binding together and you know really making a stand for yourselves because it's so so unfair and I think what makes it even worse is when the men most of the time it's the men racing try to come up with excuses as to why the women aren't getting paid as much and that's the worst part because the men obviously are so uneducated as to why, you know, women are, have been oppressed for so long and haven't got the opportunities that the men have had. So it's exciting that we have space to grow and um, educate people. So hopefully, and I know that we will do that, but it's sad that it still happens. So I think there was a cycling race over in Europe where the men were getting paid a lot more than the women and the men of the race actually went out and found the funding to make the pay for the women as equal as the men. So the men actually went out and did that on their own backs to find the money to be able to support women so that everyone is on the same page. And I think like that's incredible because that just shows that, you know, not only have we got support of men, but like we're doing this to keep our sport growing because the more and more women get, you know, pulled down, not given as many opportunities, not given as much money, it's just going to continue to push women away from our sport. And that's like the last thing we want and need. So trying to encourage women to stay in the sport, if we can get every single man out there, whether you're competing or not to, you know, help us make those changes, it's really, really important. So challenging conversation, but one that needs to be had. And we're going to go into a lot more depth into that conversation in the following weeks. So stay tuned on that conversation. And we'd love to hear everybody's thoughts on that as well. 
but yeah, going back to how I am, I'm good. Um, training's going well. I've been really enjoying um, the last couple of months, well, months since the marathon of just um, running to how I feel and not having too much structure and no pressure on what's coming up and what races I want to be doing. So it's been nice to just kind of relax and just enjoy training. I've been doing a lot of running with our coach, Lucy Bartholomew, um, and getting her to do some speed stuff and then me joining her on the trails and doing some longer stuff. So it's been awesome because I feel like we definitely complement each other in a lot of ways, whereas I can pull her along in the speed work and she pulls me through these long trail runs. So it's awesome having her here and um, being able to do some things that might, you know, it's not necessarily in my program to do, but it's something I want to do. It makes me feel really good. So running's going well. I'm just trying to come up with um, a plan for the year and some some races to do. And I've got a few things in my mind and a few um adventures that I'm cooking up so nothing um secure yet so I won't say too much but um if you can imagine if it involves Lucy it's going to be some pretty pretty crazy adventures so more on that to come (laughs) but as we mentioned at the start we're going to be going through your questions today so the listener questions that were submitted to us on Instagram so thank you to everybody who submitted a question we do have a lot of questions so we're going to try and get through every single one of them Um, we haven't read any of the questions. We are. This is the first time we're going to be reading them. So we haven't preempted anything. We want to answer your questions as honestly and as raw as possible. So stick with us. We may need a bit of time to be able to digest the question, um, but we're hopefully going to answer it in the best way possible. So the first question, um, these are going to be all anonymous, by the way. The first question is, aside from runs, what do you do for workouts? What does your weekly routine look like? Do you want to start off, Est? Uh, for me, I run anywhere from, depending when I'm racing, like 90 to just over 100 Ks a week. Uh, but if I was racing, it could drop down to like 70 or 80, depending uh, when the race is and that sort of thing and, and how it lands in the week. But then on top of that, I do pre-running exercises before every run. So that's probably about 10 minutes of work. And then uh, most days I go through like a little mobility work um, or foam rolling or stretching, and that can be anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. And it doesn't have to be straight after a run. It can be in the evening as well. Um, but I try to do something most days. And then apart from that, I'll do two to three uh, weight sessions a week. So at the moment I'm doing one heavy one heavy weight session a week and then one plyo um, and power session a week just because I'm doing some faster, shorter stuff on the track. And then apart from that, I also chuck a couple of swims in there if I can a week. Sometimes I don't get that done, but I try to because it's quite nice to have a little rest from running sometimes. And I think the water is really, really healing on sore muscles and sore joints as well. So, yeah, that's kind of how my week rolls apart from running. Yeah, cool. Um, I'm similar in most respects. I think I run probably quite a lot more mileage than S, but I don't run so much intensity, but I definitely go to the gym and do strength training as S would do. I don't do so much, so much plyo stuff. A lot of the stuff I do in the gym is very heavy um, strength running specific base work. So I will go to the gym probably two to three times a week, depending on what I'm training for and where I'm at and how I'm feeling. And I usually try to load that up on my harder run days. So a lot of the work I do in the gym is around deadlifts, squats, leg press, uh, hip thrusts and calf raises. So I've pretty much been doing the same sort of gym work for a couple of years now um, and progressing in the weight of those um, exercises, but not too much. I'm just really just making them pretty heavy. I usually do around eight reps, three sets, maybe four sets, depending on how I'm feeling. But yeah, it, there's not too much jumping or bounding or anything like that. So it does 
help me obviously get build power but a lot of the work I do in the gym is based around trying to prevent or manage injuries that I currently have other than that I also add in I try to add in like two to three yoga sessions so whether that's a 15 minute mobility session or a 45 minute full yoga flow I do that as well so that really I try to do that on my easy run days where I just want to relax and stretch and create some mobility in my body but on top of the yoga and the strength, it's pretty much just running for me, which um, gets up to about 100. And I think last marathon block, I got up to about 170K a week, but it's not something I would recommend and not something I do consistently. <laughs> I don't know how you fit anything else in there, lids after that. <laughs> a lot of sleeping. Yeah. All right. The next question, how to organize training to imp- improve both speed and increase distance over a three-month training block? Yeah, well... I think it's all dependent on the person, you know, some people can handle a lot of intensity over a week and some people cannot. So I'll just give you an example for me. Uh, I tried a three workout week, so three intense workouts a week and a long run and it didn't work. And I ended up going back to, I think it's almost like an eight day cycle. So I do a hard run, two easy days, which could be like a medium long run or so, and then like a really easy jog. And then I'll do either a hard run again or a long run. And then I'll have two easy days again and then a hard run or a long run, blah, blah, blah. So basically for me, I figured out that I need to have two days in between a hard session and then another hard session or a long run. Uh, But everyone's different. So I think it's hard to say exactly what you should be doing for intensity. Uh, I think you should test that out and see. So say you did a really hard run one day, take an easy jog the next day. If you feel like you've recovered, you could try again or you could push it out another day. And that's sort of how you get to know how your body responds to speed work and how much rest you need. But also, obviously, both Lids and I take into account our menstrual cycle as well. So more of our harder sessions and speedier sessions are in the follicular phase so potentially you could do it like that as well you could do more of that really fast harder speed work in the first half of your cycle if you've got a natural cycle and then you you could still depending on how much rest you need in between those you sort of assess how you're feeling and then in the second half you go more into like a little bit more tempo longer runs a little bit slower but still some good hard training in there just a little bit less intense Uh, So maybe you could try that over three months and just like assess, I guess. Everyone's different is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah. And I think with the three month block, if you're trying to increase speed and distance, just being aware of both and maybe not focusing or doing too much of both at the same time. So you might want to focus on increasing your speed for the first and focus on increasing your distance for the first month or two, and then work on some more intensity at the end. I think there is a risk when you're increasing both at the same time that your body is being put under too much pressure and you're not conditioned to both. So if you do want to build, you know, your endurance and build that really um, decent um, base before you increase your speed, that would, that would be the, probably the way that we would do it um, over that three month block. So whether you spend the first four to six weeks building the endurance um, that's not saying you can't do speed work, but I probably wouldn't add anything that's super intense into it. And then just add that intensity as you've already built the base, you're already fitter. Um, and then you're already conditioned to the mileage. You can increase your intensity and hopefully pull away the risk of injury. This is a great question. How do you deal with performance anxiety? I get so nervous even before a session. And this is something that Esther and I have talked a lot about in the past as well, because we've both been there and suffered. And I think, you know, we've been running now competitively. I've been running for a good, decent amount of time almost my whole life. I think um, 
it's I've really both of us have really only just started to learn how to deal with that performance anxiety and understand like focusing on the reasons why we do run and a lot of that is because we just love it and we want to go out there and have fun and be part of something and be part of a community and you know for us it's so much more than just the results anyway so if you if you can focus on those things it will take away the stress of having to hit certain times and splits and get certain placings what do you think is yeah definitely I think it comes with time like Liz just said you know talked about it in another podcast or cry before races and not want to do them and that sort of thing but I think uh just trying to remember that like the result doesn't define you as well you know I think we all get so caught up on times and placings and that sort of thing but as long as you've trained really hard and you feel real proud of yourself and the effort you've put in like the result is actually irrelevant in the end because you've worked so hard to be there and that's what you should be proud of rather than what you end up coming away with you know people get so caught up on on times like say I want to run a sub 80 minute half and I train extremely hard for it I go out on the day and I run 121 or something you know I should still take away from that that I've worked really hard to be there and that day just wasn't my day so I think yeah like acceptance of any result and then just trying to take that expectation away and being proud of yourself for the journey and yeah like Liz said just remembering what running does for you is a good way to step back from being so nervous and just remembering that you do it because you love it um, you love the community you've made friends from it that sort of thing will help you remember why you do it in the first place and hopefully calm those nerves a little bit make you more excited than, than nervous definitely everything we do in life it should be you know somewhat enjoyable especially if you're just starting into something so being able to go out there and have fun and just yeah smile throughout it that's um, more important than placing sometimes to me anyway I'll also add there's just one thing that's helped me um the like pre-race planning and stuff I think that's really helped because if you're not organized and you're stressing out like the day before a race and you've got the race early in the morning and you don't have your gels and you're running around trying to find them and get your pre-race nutrition I think being organized in the week leading into it doing everything in your power to kind of take that stress away and other aspects of your life will really help as well so say you've got like a flexible job you could get try and get all your work done at the start of the week so you can have a few relaxing days leading into the race rather than being anxious with work because all that mental stress from other aspects or if you're disorganized before the race will affect you know how you're feeling the day of the race so like the stress leading into it I think that's really helped me I try to be organized at least a couple of days before so that I can not stress about those things and try to stay more calm leading into the race. I think so too. And I think being distracted, like not by work or other stresses, but being distracted by books or movies or whatever it might be has helped me a lot. If I go into a race, you know, and the night before, or if it's an evening race, even in that day, I've watched a movie, my mind is completely somewhere else. And it just allows you to chill your nerves out and take your mind away from the, yeah, the race and the event that's coming up. So that's definitely helped me 100%. Um, similar question to what we answered before, but how, how often and what cross training would you recommend? So for me, like aside from the strength of the yoga, I actually don't do a lot of cross training unless I am injured and I can't run. So when I did my hamstring, I was in the gym on the bike every day. Um, but I'm probably not the best example of someone who should or does cross train. I am a lot of runners. They tend to run a lot and there's not much time for anything else. But if you are someone that's more prone to injury, obviously cross training, whether it's swimming or cycling, 
or getting on the rower, whatever it might be, definitely takes the um, pressure off your body and allows you to still work on your aerobic fitness without um, putting that, you know, impact through your body like running would. So I don't cross train a lot. Yes, you swim a little bit. Yeah, I do swim a little bit. That's just because I sort of got to know my body and I know that, you know, probably for me, the maximum amount of Ks I can handle is like 110 or a little bit over, maybe 120 if I'm pushing it. But if I try to run what Lids runs, I would just get injured. Like I've tried to run up to 130, 130 Ks or more and I got injured. So I think getting to know your body. So if you were training for a marathon, for example, and you really, really wanted to push yourself and go really hard and say you're imagining um, – you want to train as hard as Lydia does, but this is going to take a lot of years to get there. Uh, but you know your body can't handle that. You could substitute the time in that Lids would do a week. Say she trains 15 hours a week of running, for example. I'm just using you, Lydia, here <laughs> as an example. But if you wanted to train something similar, but you know your body can only handle 100 Ks a week, then you can sub in that, you know, the other five hours or whatever it is a week of cross training. And that could either be just easy swimming, easy biking, anything that's uh, similar intensity. Um, and then you save your running for your harder runs and maybe your longer runs, but it's all relative. Like Lid said, if you're injury prone and you know your body can't handle those Ks, add in the cross training. But if you're lucky enough to be able to handle it, then you could do that as well. But I think it is quite nice to give your body a break every now and then from the, the impact of running and actually cross train. So that's why I swim a bit, uh, which is really nice. And I often feel better after that anyway, from just being in the water. I wish I could swim. <laughs> I, I mean, I can swim, but I, I'm not a very good swimmer, but I would swim if I could. I probably should learn. Um, <laughs> the next question is are the Friday Femi runs happening in 2022? And yes, they are. By the time this podcast um, has launched, we will have run our first, we would have run our first uh, run for 2022. And some really exciting news is that Femi Run Community is also launching in Auckland, and Esther's going to get that started pretty soon as well. So stay tuned on that. Yeah, so exciting. Uh, question next question is advice for returning to running post COVID. We are the first to say we are not doctors or medical professionals, so we're not going to be giving any medical advice, but we do have a doctor on the team, Dr. Izzy Smith, who's incredible, who is actually going to um, be providing us, especially the Femi Run coaches, some more information around how we can help with our athletes coming back to running after COVID. We know, especially in Australia, so many people are catching COVID at the moment. Unfortunately, it is pretty rampant over here, so people are suffering, and a lot of people are wanting to get back into exercise because we all love running um, as soon as they can. But I think it's understanding that your body has been through something that's pretty traumatic. Um, it's a huge stress on your body. We need to make sure that we're not doing things to set ourselves back even further. So as a coach, I wouldn't prescribe any intense running or anything that's too hard, um, probably for the following two, three, maybe even four weeks post recovering from COVID. So we... Um, we will and need to get more information from Dr. Izzy on the specifics about returning to running post-COVID. But um, yeah, just be kind to yourself. Uh, try to take pressure and stress off yourself about having to go out and exercise and having to go out and run. Try to do you know some more gentle work with yourself, whether that's yoga or going out for walks first and just be patient with yourself. I know if you know the last couple of years have taught us anything, I think, 
it's definitely taught me patience. Um, and so that definitely comes into play now. So use that patience and just, yeah, be nice to yourself and do things that make you feel good and realize that running will always be here for you. Um, and you can always get back into it at the right time, as long as your body is fit and healthy. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Est. No, I think you nailed it. I think, yeah, the main thing is that you don't push it because you could do more damage in the long run if you go back too soon. So your body is pretty amazing giving you signs. And if you're struggling to breathe or if you feel that your lung capacity is down a lot, like Lid said, do not push it because you could do some more damage long-term. So I think, yeah, but we'll leave it all to Izzy. She'll give us the expert advice. <laughs> we'll share that advice on our Instagram so you can all be across it as well. I love this next question. What is the most valuable thing you get have gotten out of your coaches? That's a great question. For me, I would just say like peaking for events and I guess the, the knowledge of for speed work and short, short, fast running, like 800, 1500, how a lot of it is not just running. Uh, so I think, you know, if you look at some of the best 800 meter runners in the world, you know, they don't actually run that much mileage. They do a lot of plyometrics and drills and, and speed work. And I think for me, I've learned a lot um, from that and yeah. And how important those sort of drills and speed work is if you want to be fast over a short distance. And I think it does translate, especially I think drills are really important uh, for like form and, and being aware of your running form and, and trying to I guess get, get the most out of that. Uh, but yeah, I think for me, I've probably learned the most about speed work drills and plyo and how important that is like 800 and 1500 from my coach. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. It's similar in my regards with that. I think the thing that I've probably learned or what I believe my coach is really good at is yeah. Prepping me for a race and making sure that I'm not doing too much and really pulling myself back. But I think other valuable things that my coach, I'm coached by a man in New Zealand and I've been with him for probably about eight or so years, kind of on and off from the last eight or so years. Um, and he's been awesome. You know, he's prepped me for the marathons that I've run and, um, yeah, it got me to a point in my running career that I am really proud of. And I think from him being able to um, show me that, you know, I think people really overanalyze running. And I think people think there's so much, um, it's such a technical sport. And although like maybe the shorter distances that you're speaking about is, you know, are a little bit more technical in terms of technique and drills and speed work that's really specific to the distance. Running in itself is something that's so plain and simple and actually there isn't a lot behind it as long as you give yourself you know enough rest and recovery to be able to absorb training and I think through my coach's um, programming and what he's been prescribing me over the last eight years like my program probably doesn't differ very much from what I was doing eight years ago although I'm running a lot faster now you know I'm still doing the same workouts I'm still doing eight by a k I'm still doing this and still doing tempos like yeah it's just like running is all about consistency and being able to get that consistency. And I think that's kind of what my coach has probably taught me throughout my journey and to get that consistency, obviously you need to make sure that you aren't getting injured and that you are getting enough rest and recovery. But if you can get all those little pieces, right, then you're going to get better at running. So yeah, my coach is pretty like blunt and what probably 
one of the more valuable things. And I think, you know, there's pros and cons to someone who's really blunt. Um, he'll tell you the truth, whether you're fit or not. And I think I do appreciate that honesty in all my relationships. And I think um, by him just telling me, you know, you're this fit and you can run this, it gives me probably the confidence to go out and do it. And he'll tell me if I'm probably not that fit and not ready to race that race. So I value that. Other people may not, but it's probably something that's helped me um, get to the right races in the right sort of shape and um, fitness to be able to run, you know, the times and placings that I want to run. He definitely is blunt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. How easy should easy runs be and hard runs be? Cool. So I, kind of like the difference between the two. Yeah. Like uh, before we sort of talked about, you know, like the follicular and luteal phase, I think in the follicular phase, or the first half of your cycle, you can push pretty hard. I don't think there's very often you should get to the end of the session as hard as a race, unless you're doing like one key prep session. Uh, especially again, I talk about speed work, but that's because I do a lot, a lot of it for like 1500. I think I would probably do like one 1500 session where I'm like absolutely pooped. And that was at 1500 meter pace and I'm really tired. But apart from that, I don't think there's that often that you should finish a training absolutely exhausted and depleted. You want to save that for your race day, but you want to be still able to push yourself pretty hard in the sessions. Uh, so again, that would probably be more in the follicular phase that you do those sort of harder key ones. And then the luteal ones, you could probably do a little bit more tempo uh, type sessions. So that's like 70% or 75% half marathon pace, maybe 10 K pace, that sort of thing. Uh, but again, you don't want to be getting to the end of the session often and being on the ground full of lactic acid dying because I think that's just going to dig your hole if you do that too often. Uh, and then you're not going to have that second gear when you get to a race. But apart from that, easy runs for me are just so slow. It's a joke. So I, I go off heart rate. I don't know if anyone else does, but for me, I mean, a lot of people would, but some people do not. And you can go off like perceived effort as well and, and what feels good for you. But for me, easy runs, I keep my heart rate under, but I've done lactate testing. So I actually know what is an easy run for me. So if you don't know, do not take this as a guideline or truth because uh, age matters and everyone has a different like peak heart rate and resting heart rate. So for me, it's like 155 and under, but I try to keep it under 150. But if at the moment I'm running without a watch 90% of the time, cause I'm sick of it. So I just go off perceived effort and it's just like, I should get home and be like, that was easy as I could have kept running for another hour at that pace. So I think that's kind of the difference. Um, what do you think? Liz? Mm, well, yeah, I think the biggest point here is that you really need to make your easy runs easy. And that's probably one mistake that so many people make is that they just push their easy runs way too hard. And then they actually aren't ready to do their hard runs the way that they should or could be doing them. So easy runs have to be so easy. And for me, I know this person did ask questions around specifics with numbers. So we'll talk about that soon. But like, as an example, for me, you know, my 10k race pace is around 315 per k my like steady comfortable run pace would be around like four to four twenties my um long run pace is around like that 420 to 430 mark and then my easy runs are like 515s five to 515 <laughs> so that kind of gives you like the range of speeds that i will work at over a week from 315s is my 10k pace to 515s for my 10 uh, my easy run pace so like if you are someone that say you're running five minute Ks for your 10K pace, 
you want to be running your easy runs at like 6.30s. Whereas I see a lot of people who are racing 10K race pace at five minute Ks and then they're doing their easy runs at like 5.15s or 5.30s and it's like not a lot slower than what they're actually racing at. So if you don't give yourself that time to recover in your easy runs and you're just sacrificing the gains that you're going to make in your hard runs. So really, really take those easy runs, super easy. And then for my hard runs, like I said, very similar for marathon training. You never want to finish a session and feel like you've given it 100%. We will never go to hundred percent until race day. So even if you're training, you know, with a training group and there's people around you and you've got that competitive nature about you, still don't race your training runs. Make sure that you're still doing your speed workouts at the appropriate pace that you should be doing them at so you finish. And yes, you feel like you've given it a lot and you feel tired and fatigued, but you don't feel completely depleted and exhausted because what will happen if you actually end up racing your speed runs or your training sessions is that you are going to put yourself out where it might take a week or two weeks to recover from that one session. And then you've lost the gains of the next two weeks of training. So isn't it better to train that training run at 80% and be able to get through two more consistent weeks of training than give that training run 100% and then sacrifice the rest? Hopefully that's an easy, simple way to understand it. So true. And the group thing is super important. I've learned that the hard way. I always, you know, I'm very competitive. And so sometimes in certain groups, I've actually had to take a step back and train by myself because <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I want to hang on and I want to keep up. So knowing yourself and knowing if you're actually capable to run runs within yourself and not push every time, I think it's really important. And that's taken Definitely. a while. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the same. And I train with boys and I, I this you know, nothing like beating a voice. <laughs> Sometimes I just need to rein, rein it in and pull my ego back. Uh, the next question, if you have HA, which is hypothalamic amenorrhea um, and run, how does the hormonal fluctuations impact training when you have no signal? So if you've got hypothalamic amenorrhea, you won't really produce much estrogen or like the right amount of estrogen to have a menstrual cycle. Because when you get, you know, that peak in estrogen, that's that's when you ovulate and then that's how you get progesterone and then that's how you have a menstrual cycle. So you basically will not have the other uh, hormonal fluctuations that someone who has a natural cycle will have. So I think key things there is that you still really factor in recovery. You can still do sort of harder sessions. Uh, but I think, you know, if you're in that state, you really want to try to get out of it as, as priority number one. So I think reaching out, you should be seeing a doctor. If you've got a running coach, they should be aware and hopefully your training's reduced slightly. I know that sometimes it's really hard to reduce training um, mentally. So it could be even that you just do a little bit less intensity, but you can keep your running the same. Uh, but yeah, just really trying to get that cycle back is the main goal, but you can't really... Uh, trained to your hormonal fluctuations because you don't have the same as someone with a natural cycle. Mm. And a key call out there is before you become completely amenorrheic, you should, or there should be signs that you are almost going down that path. So you may see irregularities in your cycle um, before you completely lose your period. So if you can pick up, and this is why tracking your menstrual cycle is so important, if you can pick up on those signs before you completely lose it and become amenorrheic, um, that's a way for you to be able to still work to your hormonal fluctuations and become aware of those fluctuations. And if there are issues or regularities, 
trying to step in and make changes before you completely lose your cycle because we know that losing your cycle can have many issues stemming from it so we want to get there before we completely lose it um, but tracking your cycle is the best way to be able to do that next question first marathon how to believe it can be done I love this question because I think a lot of people when it's the first marathon get so nervous and so caught up in the idea of running 42.2 kilometers that they just talk themselves out of believing that they can actually achieve the distance. And, you know, a lot of running is in your mind, especially when it comes to those huge, crazy distances. I think the power of your mind is so important. So being able to play into that and actually build the confidence in your mind before you even get to race day is one of the best things that you can do for yourself. So Try not to discredit yourself and, you know, the way that you speak to yourself is really important. So if you're sitting there saying, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, then guarantee you probably can't do it. <laughs> but if you're there just speaking to yourself and that like, I can do this, I can run that distance, I can go that far, I believe in myself, I've done the training. Obviously, the training is a big part of it that allows you to believe in yourself and build that confidence. But the way that you speak to yourself is really, really important. And for me, I went into my first marathon, it was 2015, it was the Melbourne Marathon, and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. No idea about the marathon. I don't know. I think I took a few gels with me, but I really just relied on the water that was on the tables. I didn't really have a plan. I didn't really have a pace. I kind of had no idea what I was doing, but it was the best marathon I've ever run. It was the most enjoyable marathon because I had no pressure and expectation on myself. And I was just so excited to go out there and do something that I'd never done before. So I think if you can focus on those things and be like, I'm grateful to be here. This is crazy, but amazing. And I believe that I can do this then you can 100% get through the distance of the marathon and actually get through it in a really enjoyable and fun way. I think it's when we put too much pressure on ourselves to be running certain paces and I don't know, getting too deep into how the race is going to play out before race day. That's when I think the nerves and I guess the doubts will come into play. So just really focus on just going out there, having a good time, believing that you can get through it. And there is nothing quite like finishing your first marathon, getting across that finish line and being so proud of yourself for that distance. It's a pretty crazy achievement. And yes, I can't wait for you to do one. <laughs> I will take all that advice when I do it. <laughs> oh, next question. I'll leave this one for you. Yes, I always need to use the bathroom when running. Please help. Oh, I feel so. That sucks. Like, yeah, that really does suck. I think whatever you are currently doing, maybe play around with it a little bit. So, it's a tough one. Like both Lids and I have trained our bodies to be able to like smash a piece of toast and a coffee and then just walk straight out the door and train. I think I would, for you, I would potentially sort of trial different foods, keep it quite small. You don't have to eat a lot in the morning. Depends what you're doing. Like if you're going out for a really long run, you probably should eat more, but if you're going out for a kind of an easy run, you can make sure you can keep it quite small, uh, just making sure like maybe you're having, I don't know, one piece of toast or with peanut butter or jam or a banana with peanut butter or just something small, a little bit of carbs, a little bit of protein. But I think my only, I'm not a nutritionist. So my only advice would be just trial and error and just keep persevering because hopefully your body will adjust. But if it continues to happen, I would say go to a nutritionist because potentially you have something like IBS or you need to try FODMAP um, or something. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. everyone, 
everyone is different and you know for Liz and I we're lucky enough to be able to handle it and our bodies can eat food and then train but you know some people may need to try something different um, before it works eventually yeah I think like yeah no that's awesome and I think um Esther is completely right in that you need to try things that work for you but for me I remember this was probably um in my early 20s I went through a period of I would say about four to six weeks where I was the same I just stopped to go to the bathroom number two is like every single run and I just had this really weird bout of irritable, irritable bowel syndrome and I remember cutting out gluten I think um, that's what the doctor or the nutritionist suggested that I do and I cut that out for a period of time and it seemed to get better and then I slowly started adding it back in and now I'm completely fine but everybody is different that's just kind of one of my stories but I think if you can get some professional help if it is something that's like you know really damaging you and um, being a real inconvenience especially when you're trying to go out training then definitely get some help to be able to sort that out uh book recommendations yes do you have any book recommendations well at the moment I'm reading the seven sisters series which is really cool it's definitely not to do with running or anything but I really liked the lost art of running I'm quite a bit of I'm a bit of a nerd like when it comes to like running form and like running things and running in bare feet and da 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 like I love all that stuff uh I don't recommend you go and run in bare feet, um, by the way, if you've run in shoes for a long time, it's, it's dangerous, <laughs> but I do like the science behind that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, I really liked that book, The Lost Art of Running. And then, yeah, the Seven Sister series I'm reading at the moment, which is kind of like, just follows these ladies' journeys um, through their life and their, their sisters that are all adopted by this man. Uh, sounds really strange when I say it out loud, but it's really good. Uh so those are some book recommendations at the moment from me. What about you, Lids? Uh, my running book recommendation that I've read recently is the Murakami book, what I, what I talk about when I talk about running. That was pretty interesting. And I feel like, yeah, just crazy um, where your mind goes when you're out running. And then the my favorite book of all time, which Esther's probably heard about quite a few times, I tell everybody to read this book, is called Into the Magic Shop. And it's not about running, but it's about believing in yourself and manifestations and visualization and um, it's about a neuroscientist who's now based in San Fran growing up in a household that wasn't very supportive. He didn't really have a lot of hope to be anything or do anything amazing. And uh, he learned how to visualize and manifest when he was 12 or 13 years old. And he wrote down 10 things that he wanted at that age. And all 10 things came true, but it was a pretty uh, crazy journey of how he got there. And when he got there, um, how he kind of reacted and acted towards, you know, these things of very monetary things like a big house, a lot of money, a nice watch, a nice car, um, realizing when he got there, that was maybe not the right things to be focusing on and how um, being grateful and yeah, being uh, caring about other people was way more important than these monetary things so yeah into the magic shop um it's an incredible incredible book definitely recommend it i'm sure there's an audio book out there of it so if you want to listen to it while you're running definitely go ahead the next question is age relevant are there things that as runners we should be doing in our 30s and i'm wondering she must be comparing this to either our 20s or our 40s or older i'm not sure but are there anything that anything that you would recommend to do differently in your 30s Definitely. I think, you know, both Lids and I have struggled with tendon issues as we've gotten older and, you know, our collagen production and that sort of thing as we get older does reduce. So I think strength training literally is like a gift from 
heaven. Like it's the best thing ever, you know, to keep you injury free and also to hold form, you know, when you're running, when you get fatigued, if you've got stronger muscles, you can hold good form when you're running for longer. So there's so many benefits to strength training, but I think as you get older, it's definitely way more important than when you're younger. I think you can get away with stuff when you're younger, but when you get older, it's going to catch up with you if you don't do strength training eventually. And probably I think as I've gotten older, just like looking after myself more. So really focusing on nutrition and not drinking as much as I used to when I was younger, because I think that just happens with age anyway. Hangovers suck way more when you get older. And I think, you know, as we do age and our hormones, hormone levels do drop eventually, it's harder for us to keep muscle mass. So that's why you got to strength train more and you got to really focus on protein as you get older alongside carbs and fats, but even more so protein as you get older, just to keep your muscle mass. Yeah. What I find really interesting and something that I've probably always been telling myself, and now I'm kind of getting to those ages where I'm like, why did I think that when I was younger was that I could only do speed work when I was younger. And as I got older, I was just going to go up in distance. And that's probably why I started running marathons at 25 was because I was like, oh, I'm too old to be running on the track. Um, I'm just going to like increase the distance and pull back the intensity or the speed that I'm running. And I think that's completely wrong. I think, you know what they say, if you don't use it and you'll lose it. So to me, I really want to still be doing speed work and doing some of those shorter, faster races, because I think I know that it's going to complement the longer stuff anyway, but I think a lot of people and a lot of women have this idea that, you know, you had a certain age and you shouldn't be running track events anymore, or I'm too old for that. I shouldn't be doing that. I'm just going to go and run like these ultras or whatever it might be. Uh, but that's not true. Like, I think we can run those short distances at any age. And there's some incredibly inspiring women running some really fast times all around the world. And, you know, they're in their late thirties, early forties. So there's not, nothing to say that we shouldn't be doing that short, fast stuff. And I need to continue to tell myself that because I've definitely been going down the trap of like, oh, I'm getting older. I just need to run slower and longer. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think being able to still believe in yourself that you can still run those speeds through your thirties and into your forties and even into your fifties, there's, there's some amazing women running some fast times, you know, at that age. So believing in yourself that you can be doing it and that if you do it, it's actually going to benefit you um, even more so than doing some of those longer, more um, endurance based runs that I think a lot of us get up towards. Cool. The next question is, how do you know when you're actually body tired and need rest versus can't be bothered tired? Yeah, that's a tough one to like distinguish, but I think generally you can tell if it's like mental fatigue, if you just can't be bothered. Whereas if you're actually feeling like your body is fatigued, you know, you're sore or when you go out for a run, you're kind of like really struggling, even on your easy runs. I think that's probably a sign, but yeah, it is quite hard to know the difference. Uh, for me, yeah, mental fatigue is quite obvious. Like, you know, I just maybe don't have the motivation that I would some other times. And then I know, okay, well, today I just have to push myself and get out there. But yeah, what do you think? Is? I don't think they're necessarily that mutually exclusive. Like I think if you are in a mood where you can't be bothered and you're tired is almost telling you maybe that you do need a rest. So it's almost like unless you're um, injured, that's probably a whole other conversation. But I think if it's just like, I'm tired, I don't want to go running this afternoon. 
if you feel that exhausted, then probably don't don't go running that afternoon. I think I spoke about this in the last podcast where that when I did my hamstring leading up into the Melbourne marathon, I woke up that morning completely exhausted. Like I was so tired. I think I'd come off a hundred, that big 170 K week. I shouldn't have gone out running that morning. And that's when I tripped and hurt my hamstring, you know? And I think if I listened to my body, um, I would have actually made the right decision to not go running and actually prevented myself from getting injured. So listening to your body and if your body's telling you that you are tired and you need rest, probably take the rest because that's going to benefit you more in you know, the weeks and months of training to come than just getting through that one run that you potentially are going to miss. So don't feel guilty about missing runs because I know that's a big thing. Just know what is right for you and what's right for your body and just make the right decision based on that. Number one tip ahead of a race. We did speak about performance anxiety, but give me your one tip, S. What's your number one tip ahead of a race? Keeping my mind happy and relaxed I think the more pressure you put on yourself the more expectation about a certain time and the more you start to worry uh, the less fun the race is going to be and the more stressed and anxious you're going to be so I think yeah just keeping your mind relaxed and like Led said you know daily affirmations telling yourself that you can do it you know and that you're strong and you're capable and determined and hardworking. I think for me, that's probably my number one tip is keeping my mind happy and relaxed and positive, which is hard, but it can be done. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I'd say my number one tip would just be to go out there and have fun. Like if you can focus on the fun and the enjoyment, like we always say, you're going to have a good time and probably run the best that you can anyway. So love that. I would love to know a general time frame of going from a half to a full marathon. Uh, this is a really good question and it's really dependent on the runner and how long they've been running. Um, but if you are someone that's, you know, only just built up to a half and it's your first half and then giving yourself enough time to prep for the marathon, I will always say, give yourself a lot more time than you probably imagine. I have had a lot of athletes come to me and, you know, they're wanting to run their first marathon. It, even within six months is a massive ask from someone who's never run before. And people just want to run a marathon to tick it off their bucket list. And I'm someone as a coach my number one priority is that you actually enjoy yourself and you build running into your life to be really sustainable and actually something that you can do and want to do forever, not just build up to a marathon and run that marathon and tick it off and never run again. So if I was saying you're wanting, you're currently running half marathons and maybe you've run multiple half marathons, which I would definitely recommend before stepping up to the marathon from the moment you've run those halves up into the marathon, I would probably give yourself at least anywhere from like three to six months minimum. Um, but it, if you've only run your first half marathon, I probably wouldn't run a marathon for another couple of years. And that's just so you can build that conditioning and you get your body, body used to running the mileage that when you do step up in Ks to be able to run marathon training, your body is prepped and ready to do it. If, you, if your body isn't ready, you, I can almost guarantee you're going to be suffering injuries throughout that build. So just making some really smart decisions about how quickly you increase your mileage is really, really important. Um, and then focus on still actually enjoying the running, like I said at the start. Like if you can take your time to get there, then you're going to be able to actually enjoy it more and want to do it versus like, I have to slog through the 16 week program because I told myself that I'm going to run a marathon one day and you absolutely hate it and you don't enjoy it at all. And then you may get injured and fatigued and never run. And like, what's the point in that? So give yourself a lot more time than you 
can ever imagine and and just be patient with yourself um, and then you'll actually enjoy the training as well but it is very different for everybody if you're someone who's run your entire life but like yes always run she's um, been running you know shorter faster races for a long time she's so conditioned to running we could get her up to running a marathon probably within 12 weeks if we really wanted to um but i didn't one day i used <laughs> yeah one day yeah. you can you can definitely coach me for that one sure. <laughs> yeah so it's Esther's obviously so conditioned to running too so she's at a less risk than someone who's never run before and wants to run a marathon in 12 weeks probably not something I would recommend um run tips for total beginners I guess this is a great segue do you want to give us some tips for beginner runners yeah I think uh for beginner runners if you literally are going from nothing uh, starting like a couch to 5k program. So just going on Google, looking one up, following that until you can run 5k consecutively, I think. And then you can start to slowly build your mileage. But I think it's really important that you start with like walking and running. Running is so much load through your tendons and joints and bones. And if your body, like Lid said, is not conditioned to running, it's a hell of a lot of weight to go through that something that is not conditioned to that at all. So I think yeah, couch to 5k programs are really beneficial for someone who is brand new. Uh, so that's normally starts, you know, maybe like walk, running two minutes, walking a minute, running two minutes, walking a minute for 10 minutes. And then the next time you build it up a little bit, a little bit over the weeks, and then you can run 5k's consecutively. And then from there, you could probably, you know, start to either build your mileage or add in some speed, but one thing at a time. And I think just letting your body get used to one change before you move to add another is really important um but yeah cash 5k would be my main tip yes i usually get people on six weeks of run walking pretty much before they start running consistently which sounds like a long time but in the big scheme of things if you want to be running forever it's really nothing and it's really wise to do it in a sustainable way so um, the walk running is really important. I think other things for beginner runners is take away expectation and pressure. Like I think a lot of people have this idea that when you start running, you just have to go out and be able to run 5Ks. And there's just like this weird thing about running 5Ks. And I think taking away that pressure of like, you have to cover 5K or a certain distance and just getting through what is sensible and smart for you will allow you to be able to do it in a really safe way, but also in an enjoyable way where you actually are having fun out there and wanting to do it more and more. So take away that expectation and pressure, find a friend. I think that would really help. Like even, you know, as experienced as Esther and I are, we still crave having people to run with. So if you can have someone, it also keeps you really accountable. If you can have someone that's going to meet you, you know, at the Harbour Bridge at 6am on a Tuesday morning, and they're going to be there no matter what, I think that definitely helps you get up, get out and just get it done. So if you can find a running buddy, definitely do that. But yeah, I think takeaway expectation, um, find a friend and then having a proper plan that gives you some guidance of how to increase your load. Those are probably the best three tips we can give. Next question. We're getting there. We've got a few more to get through. How to put on muscle and not lose that muscle in race events. So I'm, I'm assuming she's just probably wanting to know how you can keep your muscle and your strength when you are doing a lot of running. Uh, just keeping up your gym work, I think is really obviously the main thing. So if you can, if you've got consecutive races such as me over the next three weeks, what I would do to maintain muscle is uh, a strength session at the beginning of the week. So maybe a Tuesday, I wouldn't go any closer. 
Uh, again, everyone's different, but I wouldn't go any closer to a race, say, on Saturday um, for my last session to be on a Tuesday. And then I would do weights again on a Sunday after the race so that I'm still getting two sessions a week and keeping up, you know, those little exercises that you can do pre and post run, kind of like that more rehab or warm up type exercises will help as well. And then just like making sure you're having really good nutrition post and pre training. So, uh, you know, if you've got a, if you have got a weight session, making sure you're getting 25 to 30 grams protein after or after your runs, you're getting that protein as well. Uh, I think that's probably the main two tips, but yeah, to be honest, most people probably do lose a little if you're racing a lot over consecutive weeks because you're not going to be doing the heavy, heavy strength work that you would be doing in like pre-season or whatever you'd call it. Um, but that's fine. You know, you've done the, if you've done the training leading up to it, your muscles are still going to be there. They might just get a tiny bit smaller. <laughs> and then for like the longer distance stuff, when you are running pretty big mileage and doing some pretty long workouts, we're obviously burning through so much energy and calories. So it's like you said, staying on top of your nutrition and just eating more than you could ever imagine <laughs> and making sure you're just getting those calories in and especially a lot of protein. I, I think we all know that women don't eat enough protein and be able to keep that muscle and keep that strength. We need to make sure we're replenishing every time um, we're training. So just making sure, you know, I eat so much protein. I had a protein shake pretty much as soon as I walk in the door after every run to be able to replace what I've lost already and keep that strength and muscle on. So staying on top of that, you just need to be organized, but if you can stay on top of that, then you should be able to keep the muscle on. Um, all right. Next question. Your thoughts on going to the gym on hard running days versus going on easy rest days. We've talked about this a little bit. Uh, so for me, and I, I try to encourage this with a lot of my athletes only because I'm so focused on rest and recovery and getting enough of that rest and recovery and making sure that on your rest days, you're taking them super, super easy to be able to let the body recover. Uh, and so I tend to push all of the strength training and gym work onto your harder running days. So for example, I would do my gym work on a Tuesday afternoon and a Thursday afternoon and potentially on one day in the weekend after a long run. Um, and on my Tuesdays, I speak, do speed work. Thursdays, I do a tempo and then I'll do like a long run in the weekend. So on each of my hard run days, I'll do a strength workout. And that's just so I can load up my hard days um, so that I can make my easy days really easy and make um, them purely for recovery. So everyone's different in the way that they adapt to their training. Um, but I find that works really well for a lot of the females that I coach, because we all know that rest and recovery is just as important as the training. Are you the same Est? Yeah, I definitely try to, but I, I think for me, it's a little bit harder with some of my sessions in the evening. So I, I um, on Tuesdays train at 5.30 PM. So what I would do, like I do agree with Lids that it's, it would, it's probably more beneficial to do your hard run, say in the morning, if this is your schedule, and then you do your weights in the evening of that day. So all your hard stuff is that day. But if it was, for example, like me, and you have that training in the evening, I would do it Wednesday straight after a run or if it's plyometric stuff, I might do it in the evening of that day. So for example, Wednesday might be, you know, an easy run in the morning and then I would do my weights in the, in the afternoon. But I think, you know, getting all your hard stuff all on one day means that your easy days are easier. So I think it is probably more beneficial in the long run, but you make it work best around your schedule. Just make sure you're not doing it the day before a hard run or the day before a long run. Yeah. Love that. Uh, this is a question for you. Is plant-based food plan ideas for runners? 
Yeah, cool. I love it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard. I'm not going to just like list off recipes, but I think uh, it's really important for a plant-based athlete to put more effort into your nutrition than someone who eats meat and dairy because there's a lot of things that you get from that that you don't get in a plant-based diet uh, or you have to make more effort to get them. So I think I'm not going to rattle off things, but I think for me, what's helped me the most is a book by uh, Simon, I think his name's Simon Hill. Oh yeah, it's right there. Simon Hill. Um, and it's called The Proof is in the Plants. So he's like an amazing man who basically just puts the facts up on his, he's on Instagram as well. Um, I think his name's Plant Proof on Instagram, but he he cuts through all the crap and he finds peer-reviewed or um, yeah, peer-reviewed articles or research. So he's only putting up the facts. He's not putting something that is uh, biased towards something to make money. He's literally on there just to help people who choose to eat more plants than uh, animal products. So in that book, he sort of goes through all the key nutrients that you need as a human, but also as an athlete. And so he talks about certain things you can add to your diet daily. So for me, you know, I have two tablespoons of chia seeds every day. I have a Brazil nut every day and I have all these different things every day because, and I have iodized salt because iodine deficiency is quite common uh, for plant-based, but also for other athletes as well. So I've got all these certain things that I do in a day and I take iron supplements and, and um, these B12 supplements as well, which are some of the things that can be a little bit um, lacking in a plant-based diet. So recommend that book, The Proof is in the Plants. Uh, but yeah, maybe we could look into doing something like that in the future, like an actual plant-based kind of, um, I guess, food food diary or um, food tips. We could get our nutritionist, Sarah, to help there. But I'm not a nutritionist, so read that book if you want tips mm-hmm. and easy guide to make sure you're getting everything you need. We've also got the incredible Lucy on our team who has her own plant-based cookbook as well. So we'll put the links to all of these books in our bio. And if you want to go back and listen to our interview with Lucy, which was episode number three, um, go back and listen to that. And the link to her book is in that bio as well. But awesome. All right. We've got time for maybe two more questions. Um, This question is, should you do some race pace segments during long runs for an event or all easy? And I'm assuming this is probably more for like the half of the full marathon. So uh, yes, you definitely can do some race pace segments in your long runs. And it's probably something I would suggest for athletes who have maybe already done a marathon or multiple marathons before. If you're someone who's never run a marathon before, I would just get you to do your long runs at a really comfortable pace for your first marathon build and just get used to the distance. And then after a couple of different builds, um, start adding into the long runs some race pace segments. So for me uh and I know some of the boys I train with they run like pretty close to race pace in a lot of their long runs um although it may be breaking up into four five six k segments whereas for me I usually just do one block which might be 20 to 30 minutes um at race pace or roughly close to race pace 
in my long run. So it might be that I'm running for two, two and a half hours with a 20 or 30 minute block at marathon pace, but it's not something that I would introduce. Yeah. As I said, in your first, like one or two marathon builds, yeah, that time is more spent just getting used to the distance and getting your body conditioned to the load. Um, and then we can add in some more race pace segments. If you are racing the half, you could do the same. If your long runs are 90 minutes or an hour 45, you could maybe do 15 or 20 minute up tempo at your race pace. Um, but when it gets to those shorter distances, anything below, you know, um, a half marathon, I wouldn't really suggest being doing anything race pace in your long runs because it's just too fast. You want to keep that for your speed work anyway. But hopefully that answers that question. The last question we have is how to prevent side stitch through breathing. Anything breathing related would be great. Uh, breathing and running is a really interesting conversation and something I'll put my hand up and say I probably haven't done enough research and understanding to speak to it too much um, definitely stitch is a very unpleasant experience and something that happens to everybody and anybody and I've definitely faced you know a stitch in a marathon before and with the marathon obviously it's such a long time you don't have the stitch for the whole race but you'll go through periods of potentially having a stitch and for me it's all about yeah breathing oxygen into that space because how I imagine a stitch happening is that the, the muscle is cramping because it's not getting enough oxygen so trying to like control your breathing and I almost visualize the oxygen going to that muscle to be able to provide it with oxygen and let it relax and um, not be so painful. But yes, what do you think, like in terms of stitch, I, there's so many woo-woo ideas about how you get rid of the stitch, whether it's like picking up a piece of grass or I think there's a few other weird things that you can do to get rid of it. What are your takes? I, I got told by my coach when I was really young that you should do a handstand because there's bubbles or gas trapped in your intestines or something so I don't actually technically even know what the stitch is I'd love uh, to see runners stopping <laughs> and doing a handstand handstand in the middle of yes Liz is doing a handstand <laughs> in a marathon you know why but uh and then the other one is like going across your thumb with all your fingers and it's like a distraction technique but honestly I don't know and I think that's something that yeah maybe we could get someone in to do a podcast on and talk about it more because I think breathing and keeping your breathing under control especially when you're pushing hard is really important because you can, if you sort of start to, you're at that really high level when you're pushing really hard, it can get quite overwhelming. And if you're not kind of used to being able to control your breathing, it could feel quite panicky. So potentially if we got someone in to talk about like best ways to control breathing and, and, you know, getting rid of the stitch, that would be cool. Definitely. And our coach Becky Green has been doing a lot of work with her breathing. She's got a breathing coach herself. So we're going to bring Becky onto the podcast at some stage and we will 100% talk to her about breathing techniques and things that we can do to improve our own breathing when we're in training as well. But yeah, the stitch is one of those annoying things. I don't think there's like one straight answer to get rid of the stitch, but try picking up the grass or doing a handstand. I reckon maybe those two will help. At least it will be fun anyway. All right, that is about all we have for today. I'm sorry if we didn't get to any of your questions or all of your questions, um, but we appreciate everybody that did send questions in for this conversation. Um, We're excited for next week. We've got an incredible guest coming on, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, you can stay up to date with us on Instagram at femi.co. We've got some pretty exciting things launching in the next few days. So by the time this comes out, it should have launched and everybody uh, jump on board, head to our website, www.femi.co and send us a question if you guys have any questions straight to us on Instagram. 
But for now, thank you for joining us and we will see you all next time.